This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. A recent Gallup poll reported that Americans' membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in the research group's eight-decade trend. One of the major drivers of these numbers is the increase in the number of Americans who claim no religious affiliation. That includes 31% of millennials and 33% of the portion of Generation Z that has reached adulthood. But when we have secular public schools educating most of our kids and and fewer Christian pastors and leaders who are willing to stand on the word of God from Genesis onward, what else can we expect? Couple this with the rise in political, social, and moral anarchy, including the embrace of so-called gay marriage and abortion on demand. And we have to say that, yes, the times they are certainly a change in, but not for the better. And that's causing a lot of Christian parents to say, I'm really concerned about the world in which my kids are growing up. This is why we have to have a biblical action plan to help ground our kids in God's word and to help prepare this generation of the church to take a bold stand for Christ, regardless of increasing persecution. We're going to tackle it today with Ken Ham, CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis U.S., the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. He is the author of more than 30 books, including his latest, which is called Divided Nation, Cultures and Chaos and a Conflicted Church. And Ken, it's just so great to have you with us again. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Janet, and uh, great to be able to talk about this very important topic. So yes. I appreciate being with you for this. Well, you bet. It's always great to talk to you. It is clear that there's this rising divide between the culture in America and the West in general and Christianity. But this is a key question you raised, which I think is really good. Why is the Christian message not impacting the culture like it used to? A lot of Christians are wondering about that. Well, you know, I believe the problem really lies with the church and with parents and what we have not taught uh, generations in regard to how to stand on the Word of God and to be equipped to answer skeptical questions of the age. And in many ways, I believe we have handed generations of kids over to the world and we've told them that they can believe whatever they're taught there. But then at church, we've basically watered down the teaching of the Word and increased a lot of entertainment. And, you know, we're losing those younger generations. If you look at the statistics for Generation Z and the millennials, they're down to about 11% church attendance. I mean, if you go way back in generations in America, what it, it, there was seventy percent of people attending church, and and now of course there's been that grad, gradual change, and we've seen the generational loss of people from the church, and I believe it's because of a lack of teaching a number of things. In fact, in the book Divided Nation, I talk about four major failures actually in regard to what we haven't taught them. We haven't taught them that there's no neutral position. We haven't taught them that there's no non-religious position. People have the idea if you don't go to church church don't worship God, that therefore you're not religious. But everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a religion. We haven't taught them how to think foundationally, starting from God's Word in Genesis 1 to 11, which is the foundation for all of our doctrine. If you want to deal with the gender issue, the abortion issue, the gay marriage issue, the racism issue, pedophilia issue, euthanasia issue, you have to start with Genesis 1 to 11. And we haven't taught them answers to all the things that are being taught through the secular education 
system and the media that undermine the authority of the Word of God. And so many of our religious leaders, our Christian uh, leaders, have actually compromised God's Word in Genesis, and that's why they've resorted to entertainment from the stage to try to keep them in their churches. And we wonder why we're not impacting the culture. Well, you're right on all of that, Ken. One of the questions that comes to mind when you're going through all of that data is when you're talking about Christian churches and Christian pastors who have really given up any sort of literal interpretation of Genesis as the Word of God is obvious that that the Genesis is literal and we understand uh, that Adam and Eve were real and all the rest. They have embraced increasingly concepts like theistic evolution. Where was the dividing line, would you say, in time when Christians began to accept some of these concepts like millions of years, theistic evolution? About when did we begin to make that shift? Well, I would say we live in a particular era that started in about the 1800s. And the reason I say that is because in the 1800s, something happened. Uh, Deists, atheists, people who didn't believe in God, who didn't believe in Noah's flood, started to popularize the idea that the layers of fossils weren't laid down by a global flood. They were laid down over millions of years before man. And if you look at what happened back at that time in the 1800s, for instance, Thomas Chalmers, the founder of the Free Church of Scotland, said, we'll take the millions of years and put them in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. And thus came about the gap theory, which permeated a lot of our churches, got into our study Bibles like the Schofield Reference Bible in the notes, by the way. My father always reminded me the text of the Bible is the commentary on the notes, not the other way around. And yeah. always remember that and judge them that way. But you see, many people thought, oh, the gap theory, well, what's wrong with that? You know, but really what's happening is you're unlocking a door that you're taking man's ideas outside the Bible and putting them into the Bible and reinterpreting God's Word. And so then what happened was along came Darwin, who popularized the ideas of evolution. And so then we had Christian leaders saying, well, we'll say God used evolution. And so then you have theistic evolution and framework hypothesis and progressive creation and local flood and day-age theory and all these different positions permeating the church. And, and then along comes the Big Bang. Well, we'll say God used the Big Bang, many Christian leaders said. And before long, what was happening was we had generations who were being told Genesis is not important. It doesn't matter. Uh, you can believe in evolution or millions of years. Or even many conservative pastors would even say to me, well, it's too controversial. It creates too much division. And as they gave up Genesis 1 to 11, what they're really doing is saying man has authority over God's word. And when you give up the foundation in Genesis 1 to 11, Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for marriage. I mean, the origin of sin, Genesis 1 to 11, death, Genesis 1 to 11, the seven-day week, why Jesus died on the cross, why he's called the last Adam, why we wear clothes. I mean, every single biblical doctrine of theology is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And once you give that up, think about what happens in regard to, say, the gay marriage issue. You know, what, what, what do you believe about marriage? If you start with a literal Genesis, God made a male and female, he made Adam and Eve, and that's the first marriage. And so marriage is a man and a woman. Even Jesus attests to that in the New Testament, Matthew 19. But if you give up the foundation and say that it doesn't matter what Genesis says, then why not two men? Why not two women? You have no foundation for your doctrine. And so in, in this era that started in the 1800s, what happened was that uh, there was a particular attack on God's word that attacked Genesis 1 to 11. And that's what, what I remind people that, you know, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 11:3, the Apostle Paul uh, says, 
that Satan's going to use, the devil's going to use the same attack on us as he used on Eve. Well, that attack he used on Eve in Genesis 3.1 was, did God really say? In other words, there's going to be an attack on the Word of God to get people to doubt and not believe the Word of God. And the attack of our time, the Genesis 3 of our time, the Genesis 3 attack began in the 1800s to undermine the authority of God's Word in Genesis. And unfortunately, much of the church, our Christian colleges, seminaries, Bible colleges, the majority of them, not all, but the majority, have succumbed to this attack, and now we're seeing the collapse of the Christian fabric, the Christian framework. Well, that's a really good summary of what's going on. You know what I find interesting, though, Ken? It's not as if a lot of these Christian leaders who have caved to the world's mentality on Genesis became scientific experts and all of a sudden said, well, you know, I, I've been reading all these very, very academic journals, and I'm convinced. I mean, it's, it's more of a capitulation, isn't it? They don't want to be considered stupid by the world. In other words, they don't want to stand on God's word over and above wanting to please the world in many instances. Well, you know what's interesting, Janet? When you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, right, the devil came to even said, did God really say? And then when you read verse 5, you will become like God. You will become as God. And what has really hit me is this. All of us have sinned in Adam. We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all have that sin nature. And Genesis 3.1 and Genesis 3.5 sum up that sin nature. And if, if you look at it then and, and think about what that means, it means our nature, our very sin nature, um, means that we are more likely to believe the word of man than the word of God. We would rather believe the word of man than the word of God. We would rather have the praise of men than the praise of God. I see that in churches all the time with Christian leaders who would rather believe man's pagan religion of evolution, because that's what evolution is. Just read Darwin. He popularized that idea to try to explain life without God. They would rather believe the word of man than the word of God. We would rather be our own God and decide truth for ourselves. And that's what we have to guard against. You're right. Ken Ham with us. We're going to take a break. We'll be back discussing Divided Nation on Janet Mefford today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. The battle for life has heated up in our country, and standing for life is more difficult than ever. The Ministry of Preborn empowers young women in crisis to choose life. By letting an expectant mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see him on an ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear the heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. 
Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help women with crisis pregnancies choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. We really need your help during these summer months when donations tend to slow down. Please help right now if you can. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at Janet Mefford. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us. And really, always great to have with us Ken Ham, who is CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. His latest book, Divided Nation, Cultures and Chaos in a Conflicted Church. We were discussing this whole problem that we're seeing, Ken, in front of us, where we're seeing fewer and fewer of the younger generations going to church. We're seeing a loss of biblical authority at work in our lives. A rejection of Genesis is largely to blame for this. And I I agree with you 100% that we have lost faith in many cases in the authority, the final authority of God's word. You look in this book at at several areas where you think parents and church leaders have failed to equip the younger generation. You mentioned them, some of them before. There is no neutral position. That's one of the, the first one that you mentioned, that parents and church leaders have not equipped kids to understand there's no neutral position. What are you talking about there? Well, you know, to give an example, you know, I've had actually church leaders say to me, look, when you're going to go out there and fight the abortion issue, you can't talk about God's word, because if you talk about God's word, they'll see you as religious. And so you need to go out there and give them uh, neutral arguments, like, you know, show them pictures of babies developing their mother's womb and so on. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, even at the Creation Museum, you know, we have models of babies developing in their mother's, mother's womb, so people can see yes, this is a human child and so on. And that can certainly, you know, challenge people and and change their thinking. But ultimately, ultimately, if you are not on about God's word, then you don't have the right worldview to be able to deal with this issue. And see, what, what people need to understand is, look, everyone has a worldview. There's no neutral position. Your worldview is your way of thinking, and it either starts from God's word or man's word. And if you give up God's word and you try to argue from a perspective of neutrality, we've got to remember something that the heart of a man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and it's God's word that convicts. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so just using arguments that, oh, this is a a, a human being that's in their mother's womb and so on, ultimately you're not going to win the battle because, you know, if people reject God and believe in evolution and what's in your womb is just an animal anyway, what does it matter? And one of the things that we've always said to people is you can't give up your foundation of God's word uh, when you're going to go out and do battle with these people or, or with witness to them, we've got to remember that uh, who we're witnessing to, these people are not neutral people. They have sinful hearts. They, they uh, are in rebellion against God. The Bible says that those who are against God suppress the truth, that, uh, they are, that these people are at war, they're at enmity with God. And, you know, a lot of people have the idea that, oh, well, an atheist, you know, they're neutral because, you know, they don't believe in God, but they're not neutral, they're anti-God. And we've had generation of kids who haven't understood, you know, even secular. Secular is not neutral. Secular means anti-God. Secular means that 
what you're being taught doesn't have the foundation of God's Word. And therein lies a big problem because many people have this unfortunate idea that, oh, well, in, in public schools, for instance, we tell even tell our kids, you know, if they have the Bible or they have prayer or they have nativity scenes or sing Christmas carols, well, actually, then that's, that's religion, that's Christianity. Now, you need to take those out and make the system neutral, but they don't realize it's not neutral. It is now anti-God because if you don't have your foundation of God's word, your foundation is, is man's word. And when you've got that foundation of man's word, what you're really doing is explaining everything without God, which is actually the religion of atheism. We need people to understand there's no neutral position. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Freedom from Religion Foundation and other atheist groups have gotten away with uh, getting the Christian message that used to be in schools. I mean, the, there was a, a veneer of Christianity in our public schools. That's now been taken out because they say, you know, you can't have religion in the public schools. You've got to be neutral. But secular is not neutral. They've now imposed their religion of atheism on them. And unfortunately, when we haven't trained people to think the correct way about that, they don't realize how they're being brainwashed in an atheistic worldview. Uh, that's an excellent point. And, you know, going back to what you said about just showing pictures of aborted babies and we should keep it neutral, it, you really touched on something important that I hadn't really thought very deeply about until you just mentioned it. And that is the fact that it, that when you leave aside the Bible, you lead you leave aside God's word in the debate. It occurs to me that we have been showing pictures of aborted babies for decades now. We have the science. We have the 4D imagery of pregnant women. It's not substantially moving. We can talk about the statistics of more people being inclined to be pro-life, but there hasn't been a huge moral reformation in the United States simply from all of this overwhelming data. That should tell us something. I mean, that's really a good insight that you have, Ken. Leaving aside the foundation of God's word, even if they were convinced of the fact that this is a baby, in an evolutionary perspective, you would say, well, so what? It doesn't have any meaning anyway. Well, that's one of the reasons, Janet, that I've been saying over the years, look, Here's the problem. You can't change the culture from the top down. It has to change from the bottom up. It has to change from people's hearts. I mean, uh, I've actually said a number of times, look, if you get an administration in America that rules against abortion, if another administration comes in and then rules for it, I mean, it'll just change the rules back again. And the point that we're really making with this is, look, when you look at all those issues, you know what the answer to the abortion issue is? You know what the answer to the gay marriage issue is, the racism issue? See, they're not all different problems. They're all the same problem. That's the point. They're all different symptoms of the problem. The problem is when people build their thinking on man's word. So the only solution ultimately is the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And when you go out there and you take out the word of God and try to argue from from a neutral perspective, the foundation that's there is man's word. And it's, it's God's word that will not return unto him void. It's God's word that convicts. See, some Sometimes I think we've got the idea that because we've got this idea of neutrality, we think that our human argument does the convincing. But you know what? You look at Scripture. It's not our human argument that does the convincing. <laughs> we are to give answers. We're to do the best we can. But it's God that does the convincing through and the convicting through His Word, the work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. And if we divorce our arguments from God's Word, then we don't have that uh, foundation for them to uh, understand the Word of God 
and be convicted by the Word of God. Well, it goes back to Hebrews 4.12, that God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We know we have the sword of the Spirit in the Bible. It seems we have laid laid down our swords to some extent. We don't really, as Christians sometimes, believe in the power that the Word of God says it has. And that's the real tragedy, it would seem. Oh, definitely. You know, it's almost coming. It's, you think of two knights, you know, the, the old knights when they would come in their armor and their swords and, and coming to fight. And one says to the other, oh, before we begin, you lay down your sword. Oh, OK, I'll lay down my sword. I'll let you have yours, but I'll lay down mine. I mean, when, when you give up your sword, you're giving up your, your weapon. You, you, you're giving up that foundation of God's word. And unfortunately, in many instances, we've been lulled into this idea of neutrality that we can't go out there and use our sword and we're trying to use human arguments with people who have a spiritual problem because their heart is against God. Yeah, you're right about that. So when you're bringing into the mix the issue of public schools and public schools really being a hotbed of atheism, they're not neutral themselves, they're teaching anti-Christianity, which is atheism. Many, many, many Christian kids, as we know, kids from Christian families are in public schools for one reason or another. What's the solution? Do you advocate for a mass removal of kids from public schools? Are there enough alternatives with homeschooling, Christian schooling? And what do parents do if they say, I don't have any other choice, Ken, I have to send my child for whatever reason to my local public school? What should parents be doing about this problem? Wow, Janet, you've just <laughs> you've just asked questions that we could talk about for the next couple of hours, you know. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, there's lots of things I can say in regard to that. But we have to understand, you know, it's true. Ninety to ninety-five percent of kids from church homes go to the public schools, and we've got to understand that the public schools no longer have a veneer of Christianity they had with the older generations. With the older generations, there was a veneer of Christianity there. Now it's totally an atheistic system, and most of those kids do not survive the system. They're not surviving. And we have then got to say as parents, okay, what does God say about how I'm to train these kids? What does God say is the priority for education? What does God say that I should be doing uh, to raise up these kids? And Janet, I can certainly give you answers from Scripture as to what we should be doing there. And really, it's got to come down to parents saying, to the best of my ability, I need to use the methods that God is instructing me in the situation that I'm in. Understanding there's all sorts of situations out there, I get that, but we have got to understand the reality of what's happening. They're being brainwashed with an atheistic worldview, and they're being taught information that undermines the authority of the Word of God, and most of our churches are actually condoning that system. Mm. Well, apologetics resources, that's that's one of the things that you recommend that parents really get their kids involved in the work of apologetics. And you know what's funny about this, Ken? I don't know why we don't do more of this because kids love it. I mean, my our kids have used a lot of your resources and they love them. They love learning and they love being able to use the information that they have to speak to their friends about various issues like evolution. Why aren't we doing more of this? I think this is just so basic. Well, that's one of the things that that I would say in regard to answering the question. I know I didn't answer specifically before, just giving some general things. But first of all, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give answers. You know, we haven't taught apologetics in, in most of our churches and our homes. And by apologetics, what do we mean? You know, in, in 1 Peter 3.15, be prepared to give answers or, or defense comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. They're being taught all sorts of, sorts of things about evolution and millions of years and, and now gay marriage and, and critical race theory and all the rest of it. We need to be 
teaching them answers to be able to defend the Christian faith. We need to be giving those answers. That's a teaching of apologetics, and that's what we do at Answers in Genesis, at our Ark Encounter Attraction, at the Creation Museum Attraction. We're teaching apologetics, giving all these answers to, well, how do you know that there's a God? Well, where did God come from? Well, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, what about carbon dating? What about dinosaurs? Well, where did Cain get his wife? Well, how do you explain the different so-called races of people? If we go back to Adam and Eve, well, uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you know that they're the right books in the Bible? Where, yeah. did, where did all that come from? How did the Bible come about? Ken, Think hang about on. all those questions. Yeah, so good. We're going to come right back with Ken Ham. Stay with us. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, we certainly are living in a culture in chaos, and we do have conflicted churches these days. Divided Nation is the name of the new book from Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, subtitled Cultures in Chaos and a Conflicted Church. And we were talking about the importance of apologetics with our kids, Ken, before we had to run to that last break. And this is daunting sometimes for parents, but really, isn't it just a matter of being able to open the Word of God, teach your kids the Word of God, and get some helpful resources that will back up what the Bible is teaching them. Sometimes I think we're just a little too intimidated when we hear the word apologetics and assume, well, I'm not up to that. In fact, any parent can do that. Well, they can. You know, I I think of when I was brought up in Australia. I was brought up in a Christian home and we lived in the state of Queensland. My father's a teacher, got transferred every three years, lived in little country areas, sometimes only one church. And one of the things that my father noticed was that a lot of the pastors were actually impacted by the liberal theology permeating the seminaries. And so he realized that how important it was for us not to doubt God's word and to be led astray by this this bad theology. And so he started studying liberal theology to get the answers to teach us those answers as kids so that when we hear these things that seem to undermine God's word, we were already equipped and we wouldn't be uh, led astray. And if you think about it, that was the attack of the devil in Genesis 3 to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word and that doubt would lead to unbelief and and look what happened. So what we need to be looking at is today, what are the the attacks today that that would cause our kids to start to undermine the uh, the word of God in their minds that they would doubt it and that doubt lead unbelief and you know the thing is um, that there's all this information that's been taught through the public schools and through the media about evolution and millions of years and and you're right many parents are intimidated because they say well I'm not a scientist I, I don't know how to answer questions about dinosaurs or millions of years or I'm not a, not a theologian and I don't know what to say about you know Genesis and the days of creation and what about the creation of Adam and Eve and the creation of um, uh, you, you know the the animals and so on and how do how do I answer all these questions and and the flood of Noah's day and the tar- Arab Abel, and th- but that's where God has raised up people today, like 
those of us in Answers in Genesis, our scientists uh, that we have here and the theologians that we have here, our researchers, and we, ha- we know the top questions that are asked today. We know the major attacks on God's Word. I've traveled the world for the past 40-plus years. I, we know the top questions. And for instance, we have a series of books called the Answers Books, and there are five volumes that have 160 of the top questions that people will hear today that are being used to undermine God's Word in Genesis and and the rest of Scripture, biblical authority. And we answer those in detail and many churches are starting to now teach those to to their adults and to their kids and we have a series of kids answers books as well for them at their level to get them young to give them these answers that's what my father did with us give us the answers at a young age and so it's very important that we that we teach apologetics and then it's important that we teach kids how to think foundationally and that is to have the correct world view. Janet, every one of us wears a pair of glasses. I'm not talking about the physical glasses we put on our eyes. We all have a pair of glasses. We all have a way of thinking about the world. And we need to make sure we raise up our kids with the right foundation from God's Word to have the right way of thinking so that they look at the world correctly. And and just one example... The atheists will say today, how can you believe in a loving God with all the death and suffering in the world? And they look out at our world and they see all this death and suffering and disease and say, yeah, how can you believe in a loving God? We need to to make sure they understand this is not the world as God made it. He made a world that was very good, but our sin messed it up. And now with the judgment of death, everything is groaning and falling apart. That's not God's fault. That's our fault because we sinned. That's why he sent his son to die for us and to be raised from the dead to rescue us from the mess that we made. So you've got to have the right foundation and you've got to have the answers. Well, that's right. And you address this issue. There's no non-religious position. You also make the point there are ultimately only two religions, and you touch on this idea of the foundations for our worldview. What would you say those two religions are? I mean, we could say it's simply Christianity and everything else, but fundamentally, when we're looking at differences in worldview, what makes the difference between the way a non-Christian puts on a pair of glasses and, and interprets the world today versus the way a Christian does? Well, you know, if you go back to Genesis... What we find is the first thing that uh, God said to Adam was, Adam, you can eat of all the trees, but there's one tree you're not dead of, because if you do, you'll surely die. It was a test of obedience. And really, it's God saying to Adam, obey God's word, obey God's word. And then what happened? The devil comes to Eve and says, did God really say you can be like God? In other words, you trust your own word. And really a battle there began between God's word and man's word. And ultimately, they're the two foundations. You see, even though we talk about, oh, there's hundreds of religions and so on, but ultimately there's only two religions because there's only two foundations for your worldview. You either start from God's word or you start from man's word. Go through scripture and think about it. You either walk in light or you walk in darkness. You build your house on the sand, or you build your house on the rock. You gather, or you scatter. There's a broad way, or there's a narrow way. And you know, all the way through Scripture, we see that there's this battle between two religions that began back there uh, in Genesis. And what we need to make sure that we're doing is to understand, okay, so our kids in public school, for instance, are being taught the foundation of man's word. Now, here's a problem. When those kids come 
come to many of our churches and they've got the wrong foundation of man's word and we try to try to put the Christian structure the gospel Christian way of thinking on top of that it collapses because it has the wrong foundation we've got to make sure they've got the right foundation of God's word and that begins in Genesis 1 to 11 Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything yeah. I mean it's the foundation for our whole way of thinking for our worldview for the rest of the Bible for all of our doctrine and and Janet even though even though Revelation is an important book, because every book in the Bible is an important book, it's God's Word, one of the problems I see today is that there are many churches that are more interested in talking about Revelation than they are about what you believe about Genesis, but but Revelation is not the foundation for your doctrine. Genesis 1 to 11 is. Revelation is not the foundation for your worldview. Genesis 1 to 11 is. Revelation is not the foundation for the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1 to 11 is. And so we have got to make sure... Our kids understand that history in Genesis 1 to 11, a perfect world. It was marred by sin. Death is a consequence. The flood of Noah's day. That's why there are fossils all over the world. The Tower of Babel. That's why there are different ethnic groups, not races. We're all one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. You see, when you have that history and build your worldview, then you've got on the right pair of glasses, so to speak. So when you look at the world, you realize I'm looking at a fallen world. It's gone through the entrance of sin, the judgment of death. It's gone through the flood of Noah, it's gone through the Tower of Babel, so then you can correctly understand the world that we that we see around us. It's so important, uh, and you're right on the money about it. What, what's really confusing, I think, for many Christians today is when the church is mixing those two. In other words, they're, they're saying we believe the Bible, they may preach portions of the Bible, but then they undermine the Bible by undermining Genesis, as you mentioned. So what happens when the church is mixing God's word with man? man's word, as unfortunately many churches today are doing. Well, when you mix God's word with man's word, your starting point then is man's word, not God's word. Because if you think about it, when you take fallible, finite man's ideas and you add them into God's word, now you put fallibility into the word of God. Now your starting point is really man's word. And unfortunately, that's what much of the church has done, which is why we've lost so many generations to the world, because they've been taught a foundation of man's word from the education system, and most of the kids from our churches go to that, and then they come to our churches, and they're being really told that you can take man's ideas and add them to God's word. And a lot of times what's happening is our church is saying, look, you can believe in what the world is teaching about evolution millions of years. That doesn't really matter. Trust in Jesus, Johnny. That's the most important thing. <laughs> but the message of Jesus comes from the word of God. And if in their mind you can't trust the word of God, once that doubt's created, that doubt leads to unbelief and they reject all of it and they walk away from the church. And that's really what's been happening. We're losing the coming generations from the church. That's right. Ken Ham with us. We're going to come back talking more about his book, Divided Nation. Stay with us on Janet Mefford today.
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa. On average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. When we went to this church, just on the outskirts of Maputo, uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Bibleist believer praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are talking with Ken Ham, CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis, about his latest book, Divided Nation, Cultures and Chaos in a Conflicted Church. And boy, this is just a reminder how important it is to stand on the foundation of God's word beginning in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We cannot jettison those first 11 chapters and say they're just spiritually interpreted. Oh, you can th- throw away some of the things in the beginning of Genesis. It doesn't matter. Just trust in Jesus. Well, how in the world can you trust in Jesus? Jesus, when Jesus told us about his word from beginning to end being trustworthy and living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, as we mentioned before. This is why it's so important when we're looking at our kids and the next generation of kids not attending church as much as they did in the past, not having a biblical worldview as much as they did in the past. In fact, Ken, when we look at some of these recent statistics, it's abysmal the number of kids in Generation Z who have a biblical worldview. If you keep going down the way it's been going, you're going to have zero percent of the following generation having a biblical worldview. How do we begin to turn that around? Well, Janet, uh, that's a big question, and it's one of the things that I I do in this book is to help people understand. Look, I I give them some practical examples so you understand, and, and I say to them, okay, so if you want your kids to have a true biblical worldview, how do you have a biblical worldview in regard to gender? What, what do we do? You've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11 and teach them that foundation. And there we read in Genesis 1:27 that God made man male and female. Mm-hmm. Now, there's only two genders according to God's word. And in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew 19, when asked about marriage, said, haven't you read? He which made the beginning made them male and female. And so there's Jesus attesting to the truth of Genesis 127 and the fact that 
there's only two genders. Now, as well as that, what we need to be doing is teaching them apologetics. For instance, does science today confirm two genders? And actually it does, because, you know, in humans, uh, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes, and males have uh, the sex chromosomes X and Y, and females have the sex chromosomes X and X, so there's science confirming two genders. But then we also need to be teaching them, but be ready for what the world is going to say, because they can easily be led astray if we haven't taught them how to handle what the world is going to, going to do uh, to attack that. And they'll say, oh, but there are exceptions. You know, some people have three X's or two X's and a Y and all sorts of ex so-called exceptions and so on, which constitute, by the way, you know, a very small percentage of right. people. It's like 0.01% or less than that. But here's the point. Can we explain that? And the answer is yes, because we live in a fallen world. Again, you start from Genesis because of sin. Now, Paul says in Romans 8, the whole creation groans. Everything's running down because God placed the curse of death upon the world. And so therefore, there can be mistakes or mutations uh, because everything's running down, added from one generation to the next. There can be mistakes or mutations in, in the sex chromosomes, as there are in many other chromosomes, and why there's all sorts of other diseases that people can have or problems that they can have uh, because of that. But that doesn't negate the created order. And so, Janet, I, I, I'm telling people, look, we've got to teach them foundationally from God's Word. You've got to know what the world is saying. We've got to be able to equip them. We've got to be able to give them answers and be prepared uh, for what the world is saying. You know, in regard to the abortion issue, uh, we can show them that right from fertilization, you have all the information that builds a human being. No new information is ever added. So we know we're 100% human, but the world is going to say, oh, but a woman has a right to do with her body. It's about a woman's health and so on. By the way, a fertilized egg, if it has the X and Y chromosome, the Y chromosome didn't come from the woman's body. So how can that be part of her body? It's not. It, it, and and the woman's body recognizes a fertilized egg as actually foreign tissue and would reject it, but God built an anti-rejection mechanism into the uterus. You know, when you have a kidney transplant, you have to have anti-rejection drugs because your body recognizes the foreign tissue. In other words, what I'm saying is when you start from God's word in Genesis, we have a foundation for the right worldview, and then we need to be teaching apologetics to get them ready for the world they're living in so they won't be led astray in regard regard to these issues and they need to know what they believe and why which comes from God's word humans are made in the image of God animals are not and so a fertilized egg is made in the image of God and therefore abortion is killing a human being right from fertilization we, we've got to give them the right foundation if you're going to deal with the gender issue the gay marriage issue the abortion issue the racism issue the euthanasia issue any issue you've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11 to have the right foundation to have the right worldview, and then we have to be teaching apologetics to get them ready for the world they're living in so that they'll have answers to what the world is going to say to try to attack God's word. Well, that's right. I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And when you say that we need to get these kids ready for the world they're going to live in, right now, Ken, it's not looking like that world's going to look better. It looks like the world's going to be much, much worse for these young kids growing up and teenagers. 
they're going to need more grounding in the word of God just to live day to day, it would seem, than any generation of American Christian kids before them. I mean, you point this out, the need for a bold stand. You say in your book, pastors need to have the courage to speak what is right from Scripture, even if some people and their checkbooks leave the church. How do you drive that point home? You're you're 100% on the money about that. If the pastors don't preach a certain sound from the pulpit, that's going to make a big difference in whether or not the Church of Jesus Christ will stand in the coming days that look pretty bleak right now. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, one of the problems that I have seen, uh, unfortunately, and by the way, I, I often quote that particular verse because there is an uncertain sound coming from much of the church. You think about it. If you're asking the church, what do we believe about God's word? There's some of the church that's soft on LGBT issues. Some of them are soft on, on abortion. Others will say, well, you can believe in evolution. Others say, well, we don't believe in literal genesis. Others say, well, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really matter. Well, we're not sure. Well, anyway, trust in Jesus. There's this uncertain sound uh, coming from from the church, and I found that even some conservative pastors don't really want to uh, preach Genesis or deal with it because they say, oh, it, if we're going to get division in our church because of people who who don't uh, stand with us on a literal Genesis, so we need to boldly stand. Yeah. We, we, we have to boldly stand. And, you, you know, one of the problems I've seen in the church is that many churches have resorted to more entertainment from the front. Don't get me wrong. I love music and, and I love to worship God through music. But I notice a lot of churches, they've made music the focus and it's more entertainment oriented, flashing lights. So mm-hmm. then it becomes more experiential, more feeling based. And the trouble is a lot of our younger generations have been taught by the world. It's, it's your feelings that you need to trust and therefore they would say well I feel if two men want to get married and they love each other why not they don't understand you can't trust your feelings because of our sin nature we need to judge our feelings against the absolute authority of the word of God that's what we need to be teaching the absolute authority of the word of God and judge everything we believe against that yeah that's right well again when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 talking about scripture being useful for instruction and conviction and correct Any pastor who's saying, well, I don't really want to address Genesis because somebody in my church who's been here for years and has a lot of power might not like it. Isn't it the job, not only of pastors, but also Christian parents, Christian leaders of all types to correct wrong thinking with the word of God? When did we lose our confidence in God's word to do that important work in our lives? You know, I think part of it, Janet, is, you know, and where to contend for the faith and, and yes, where to, to stand on the Word of God. As Paul says in Thessalonians, this is not the Word of man. This is, in truth, the Word of God. But I think that so many pastors have gone to seminaries and Bible colleges that haven't stood on God's Word in, in Genesis and have taught them all sorts of ideas about evolution and millions of years. And because of that, many of them don't really know what to believe. They've got those doubts. They're not sure. You know, you notice something about Jesus preaching. What did they say? He, he, they were astonished that he's preaching because he spake as one having authority, not yes. as the scribes. Yeah. You know, I, I can get up and speak authoritatively from the pulpit and authoritatively here at our Encounter Auditorium when I speak from the Word of God because I believe it and, and, and I know that it's true. And, and when you believe God's Word from Genesis, just like Jesus quotes from Genesis, and you understand, look, listen, you can't teach about any doctrine ultimately unless you start from that foundation. We've got to start 
recognizing that and be bold about that, or you're going to continue to lose those younger generations from the church. Every single biblical doctrine is founded in Genesis. How do you deal with sin? How do you deal with why there's death in the world? How, how do you deal with understanding the gospel? Why did Jesus die on the cross? You know, where sin came from, where, where death came from, where marriage came from. Uh, unless you believe in a literal Genesis 1 to 11 and have that foundation for your worldview, you can't deal with any of those issues. No, you can't, which is why I'm so glad that you've outlined all of these great points in your new book. It's Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos and a Conflicted Church. And you can check out AnswersInGenesis.org for more great resources from that wonderful ministry headed up by my guest, Ken Ham. Always a joy, Ken, to talk to you. It went super fast, but boy, do I appreciate you and your team over there. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Janet. You bet. God bless you. Again, the name of the book, Divided Nation by Ken Ham. Thanks so much for being with us on Janet Mefford today. Help us send Bibles to Africa through Bible League International. If you would, $5 sends one Bible. The number to call is 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. 